0: Today we're going to be in First Samuel 18, and the last chapter we saw David slaying Goliath. I really enjoyed teaching that, uh, just to really get into the moment, what was going on, and just the power of the Holy Spirit doing a great work in little David's life. Uh, and then we see his rise really to prominence in Israel. And tonight we're going to see King Saul... He, he loves him, he doesn't love David, he's in his house, he's chasing him. Uh, we'll see that David now, as he rises in prominence and God elevates him, that Saul is very jealous and uh, it feels threatened by him and he tries to kill him. And we'll look again at Jonathan, who is King, Saul, King Saul's oldest son, who is really one of my favorite men in the Bible. We're going to start with verse 1. And it was so when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house any more. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So we left off with David slaying Goliath, and here the household of King Saul uh, loves David, especially Jonathan. Now, from what we see here is that after this incident with Goliath and, um, you know, King Saul's blown away by it, and obviously Jonathan is, finds out about it or is there, we're not really sure, uh, but King Saul says, listen, you're going to stay with me now. You're going to stay on the royal estate. There's no sense in going back to Bethlehem. You know, you you're with us now, your family. (laughs) It doesn't last long. But a few things we can learn from this friendship between Jonathan and David. Number one, Jonathan is really like an older brother to David. As we look through the scripture, we see that when even David is tending sheep and he's the youngest, uh, that Jonathan is out fighting wars. It wasn't long ago that we saw that just Jonathan and his armor bearer, here's a man of courage, here's a man of valor, Uh, even before David comes on the scene, you know, coming after the Philistines and and fighting the Lord's enemy. So there's something special about Jonathan. Uh, I actually hear so many pastors, you know, do sermons on David. But I remember not long ago, I did a men's breakfast and Jonathan was the subject. I'm like, everybody forgets about Jonathan. This guy was awesome. And what was really awesome about him is that he, he Didn't need the prominence. He didn't need the limelight. And as we get further into this book, which is amazing, you got King Saul is coming apart. David's fearing for his life. Jonathan's really holding the kingdom together. And I bet you're like, "Wow, really?" Yeah. And when we get to that part, you'll see it. Uh, But you know, maybe because Jonathan was such a strong man, God used him to be behind the scenes and to be a support person. And even his end is is an amazing uh, is amazing finish. And and we'll go into that. But We see that Jonathan looks at David, and he becomes friends with him, and he extols David. He loves David first, and uh, he loved him as himself. As we would say in our vernacular, he probably took David under his wing, but we probably got that from Pastor Mike's favorite, Psalm, Psalm 91. Uh, So we could see a lot of our expressions, if we go back far enough, come from the Scripture. And because of this relationship, a covenant is made, an agreement. And I'm going to say that it's an agreement, number one, primarily of loyalty. You're going to hear me use that word a lot tonight. I'm going to really hit this hard, and it doesn't come up that often in the Scripture, so I'm going to try to get as much mileage out of it as possible, because I think it's lacking in the American church especially. It's not lacking in the persecuted church. When a believer finds another believer in Iran, they cling to each other for dear life. They need each other. You know, they're loyal to each other. In America, in affluence, you see it. Come on. This is the the kind of stuff that I'm going to speak about that a lot of pastors won't speak about, but it's needed to come out of the pulpit. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, David gets a set of armor, weapons, a robe, a belt. (laughs) It's like Christmas time, right? Uh, From Jonathan. So this is really a, a signature of how serious Jonathan is about this relationship. Now, in our culture... We may not understand this unless we look at the military or the police. So I actually brought a little show and tell. This is what I've been wearing. Actually, uh, I have to replace it every five years because it's soft body armor. And the fibers start to wear out. And bullets can pass through it after about five years of moving And bending and such. So every five years I get myself another set of these and it's considered soft body armor. They actually measure me, my chest, my shoulders, my waist. It's fitted to me. And inside I've actually done a few things and I've tweaked it. I've put uh, some armor plates inside of it, one over the heart. This is titanium, can stop a rifle round, and one in the back that goes over the spine. This is very dear to me. For 20 years I can remember only one day in 20 years that I didn't wear it because I was out on a really hot day and it was a traffic detail and I was just sweating like crazy. But other than that, every day of my career I've worn this, and some guys have served in the military understand the importance of a rifle or body armor or a radio to to call for help when you're really in trouble. So there you have it. Now, I don't give away my armor too easily. There was a situation last year where there was a new officer and he couldn't find body armor. I gave him my armor. It took a lot for me to do that, but uh, he didn't have anything, and I had an extra set. So, you know, if you're in the field, in the police or the military, you really get an idea because we have to rely on each other. We have to wear equipment that can save our lives. So this thing that Jonathan did to David wasn't he got some old junk from the chest. He gave him something that was dear to him and probably saved his life many times in battle. So it was very important to him. Uh, and this is again near and dear to my heart. Uh, this is a relationship that might sound odd to us. This, you know, this is kind of like a manly lesson, but it's good for women as well. Uh, this this culture that they had of of these men type of bonding relationships it was very important, right? It was it was very uh, needed. And today, men are meandering. I mean, they're. They're aimless, they're self-centered, they're off doing their own thing. Proverbs 27.17 says that iron sharpens iron, right? So a man strengthens the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. God made men to be in in groups to, to sharpen each other, especially Christian men. You know, don't let the world fool you. The man who's isolating himself is going to get himself into trouble. He needs his peers with him. So what do we have here? We have disloyalty. Now, I'm going to say this because uh, as a pastor, I think I was a police officer 13, 14 years, and I became a senior pastor. And the church is not what you see today on a Sunday or a Wednesday. The church really started with another pastor and really in a lot of dysfunction, and after being a pastor, a senior pastor for a few years, I came to my pastor. I'm being very transparent with you today. And I said, I'm struggling. And I, my pastor, and I said, you know, I go out on a road and I go to work and I go to an organization where these guys don't claim to be Christians. They're not necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, they don't follow the principles of the Bible. But if I go somewhere into a burning building or I go into a riot situation, I know I have a brother in blue right there who's ready to save me and to help me, right? And when we're in the thick of things, you know, you don't not go to that call. Otherwise, you're ostracized. So this is a very strong uh, understanding of a a companionship and a camaraderie. So I said, my pastor, now in the church, these people are disloyal. These people will sell each other out for, for nothing. These people don't understand camaraderie, and they're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm speaking about not just the church that was us seven years ago, but I'm speaking about the church I came from. I'm speaking about Calvary has its own inherent problems. Sometimes we teach too much. You don't have to tithe. You, don't have, you can come as you are. We're not going to bother you. And sometimes that breeds complacency. It breeds disloyalty. It breeds people off on their own, and it's not good, especially to the young people. You need to understand loyalty is important. It's so important to me that I've been praying. And, uh, you know, I have nine months to go until I'm out of the force. I want to start a discipleship class, and I want it to be co ed. And I've been praying about this for a while, because women are leaders as well in certain biblical, um, you know, framework. Now, Calvary doesn't do that, but we're going to do it. And it's important to me. As many as want to be involved in this, I want to teach you how to be leaders. I want to teach you how to be loyal. I want to teach you camaraderie because it's lacking in the church. And it bothers me and it gets onto my skin. As you could tell, I'm a little hot about this subject. So Pastor Joe, tell us how you really feel. You know, And I don't care who gets the CD. I think other Calvary pastors need to listen to this and start teaching their fellowships how to be loyal because they're not. Um, I read this other article, Fox News, in uh, October 14th. It says, have we forgotten how to raise boys into men? Have we? What are our boys doing? Again, they're aimless, they're meandering, they're disloyal. They're not not sharpening each other. It's a problem in our culture, and it's a problem in the church. Show me any problem in any culture, I'll show you these things getting into the church. I was watching the... uh, the Navy SEALs, Hell Week, and these guys, are, they're on the beach, they're in the water. I mean, they're, they, they get two hours, three hours of sleep a night, and they're, you know, they're, they're just getting the heck beat out of them. They're waterboarded by their superiors to make them a tough SEAL. But you'll see that when they're in the beaches, and they're, you know, it's towards the end of the week, and they're exhausted. They're all arm-in-arm arm locked together, so if one guy passes out, he doesn't drown. The other guys have to pick him up out of the water. I love that stuff. I mean, this is real guy stuff, you know? But we got some really good women who are good leaders as well. And, and this is something that uh, needs to be paid attention to as well. So I think I, I, I hit that pretty good. Now, <laughs> the only thing caveat to all this is loyalty to a point. When someone is in sin, in persistent sin, unrepentant sin, that's where the loyalty has to end. Okay? It's got to end there because God has to come first before our camaraderie. So, and again, in the persecuted church, loyalty is not a problem. So let's go back to the text. Um, Godly love, uh, Jonathan love versus worldly love, King Saul love. King Saul loved David when it felt good. When David killed Goliath and somebody said, hey, King, that was a great judgment call sending that kid out there. He did a great job for us. You know, David was doing well for uh, king Saul. Now we'll read in a few verses later that once David starts to gain a little bit too too much popularity, it's a problem for the king, right? And here's the type of love that Jonathan has. Jonathan, understand, is the oldest son of King Saul, and, and King Saul is not a he's a god, he's a, a worldly guy, and Jonathan's a great guy. I mean, he's a man of God, and he's the next one who's heir to the throne of all of Israel. And David comes by and. You know, David is a threat to Jonathan's throne. But what does Jonathan do? He never leaves David's side. He never lets David down. He never stops loving him. Was the temptation there? I don't know. It doesn't say it. When Saul was trying to kill David, gee, if I just let my dad kill him, I could be the king. Was that a thought in his mind? I don't know, but he didn't entertain it. So Jonathan's love was not conditional. And we have to ask ourselves, guys, ladies, is our love conditional? When we choose to love someone, is it, you know, when we're feeling good? When they're complimenting us? When they're doing the right thing? Or is it because we love them? There's conditional love and unconditional love. And that agape love is that unconditional love. And I believe that Jonathan possessed it, even to the point where his dad almost tried to kill him because he was so aggravated at him because of his friendship with uh, David. Verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely and Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000s. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s. And to me, they have ascribed but thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? Prophetic there. So Saul eyed David from that day forward, or he viewed him with suspicion. So if we learn what happened that, uh, with David is he keeps climbing the ladder of success. But you notice one thing about David, he doesn't try. David's not saying, you know, hey, consider me for the king. Uh, you know, God's already, uh, Samuel's already anointed him. God's already chosen him. But David is not in any hurry. He's not looking to step on anybody to get to the top. So here's a guy that all he's trying to do is serve the Lord. All he's trying to do is to be filled with the Spirit. And God elevates him because of his desire to please God. So David comes home from battle, and through no fault of David's, these women are singing. Now, are they embellishing? Are they, was it innocent? Probably. Um, King Saul hears it, and he becomes awfully jealous, right? Envy, jealousy, think about those. I tell you what, when I wear it, it's ugly. When we wear envy and jealousy, boy, is that ugly, a jealous person is an unstable person. They're a maddened person. Adolf Hitler had 83, 83 of his generals killed. If they became a little bit too popular, if they did too well, right? Or if they didn't go with he, what he said 100%, he executed them. And he wonders why they lost the war. There was nobody left but yes men. So jealousy is a problem. Um, and it's, I tell you what, it's worse when it's in the church. Now, I will tell you that I'm blessed here I have men who run worship here, who run the children's ministry, who teach the teens, and they're good men, right? And, and probably, no doubt, they could do a better job in their specific area than I could. And I'm blessed by that. I don't look at that as a threat. The better they do, the better it is for the team of Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We all work together. There's a loyalty here. And, and I, won't take, I won't stand for anything less. Another lesson in leadership is that these ladies were carelessly talking, carelessly singing. Maybe they didn't realize what they were saying. I don't want to give them too hard of a time. But how does a leader handle something like that? Don't make hay of it. You know, Don't let that enrage you. Don't let, don't let anyone, in, in leadership, we can't let anyone do things to try to put a wedge in leadership, divide and conquer. That is what Satan wants. Satan wants anarchy. But Saul succumbed to this. It wasn't David's fault. He didn't put them up to this. He didn't handle it properly. But in leadership, we handle it properly. Okay? King Saul, it says, I, David, from then on, he looked at him with suspicious. He was paranoid. And a paranoid person is a tormented person. You see, whether it's our lives, our positions, or our ministries, You know, how do we deal with that? How do we handle it? How tightly do we hold on? And I will tell you that I was always taught in ministry is hold it with an open hand and hold it loosely as if you're holding sand or water or the wind, because it's going to be God to determine what stays in the hand and what slips through. See, and I find that the more I just let God do what he's going to do and the more I'm obedient to him, things flow. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress about it. Right? So we can apply that really to any part of our lives. There are some of us right now that are stressing about things. That are you know what? Think about this. Ask yourself this question. What am I holding on to so tightly that the tighter I hold on to it, the more it seems to slip away? Only you can answer that question. I can't read between that big thick frontal bone in the front of your head. That's that's up to you to answer that question. You know, what do I need to give up to the Lord? It's important. Verse 10, and it happened the next day that the distressing spirit from God, we, we spoke about this before, came, from, came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast a spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall with it. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So you got to follow a bunch of things that are going on. We spoke about the distressing spirit the last time we spoke about that. If anything is trying to uh, test somebody or, or, or be, or, or even in Job's case and Peter's case, that they always had to go before the Lord to see what their uh, magnitude, you know, how far they could go. So with Job, uh, God said, just don't kill him. You know, uh, you can test them. I'll allow it to happen. No evil came from God. He did permit some of it, but he, but he put a limit on it. Same thing with Peter. Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but you know eventually you're going to return to me. And Satan did sift Peter. So uh, it happened. Listen, and, and in Saul's case, Saul dep- drove the spirit of God out. So it's a little bit of different, it's not a perfect analogy here. Uh, he pushed God out. God was out of his life and these distressing spirits came upon Saul. And David is in this awful situation. Uh, Sometimes he had to flee because, you know, to, uh, for his own safety. And the weirdest part is that uh, King Saul elevates David. (laughs) So he wants him out of his sight, but he also elevates him. Why? Because David does a great job. It's this weird kind of quandary that, that King Saul is in, you know, David makes him look good. He makes, it, it, it looks like he has good judgment using David in these affairs, To uh, fight God's enemies, Israel's enemies, and uh, but Saul is is terrified of him. But he hates him. But he fears him. There's a lot of emotions uh, going through here, and this is what happens when we're not right with God. There's no consistency. Find me a person that's tormented, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Maybe you're witnessing to them. Maybe you're hoping that they come to the Lord. Maybe you're a light now, and you have. And you're dealing with them and their highs and lows and highs. And there's an inconsistency in someone who is is rejecting the Lord and trying to do it their way. Now, we look at verse 12 and verse 15. It says, King Saul was afraid of David. Interesting. Afraid of David. You know, I spoke about um, anger and fear. A lot of times, and this is a proven fact, that anger is a way to cover fear. So it says here right in the scripture that he's afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord is on his side. But he covers that with anger and, and trying to hurt him because he doesn't want to deal with that fear. He's losing control and he can't admit it. Right? The bottom line is a person in this type of situation, when the pressures mount and they, they reject the Lord, they do irrational things. Right? And you've seen it. You've all seen something uh, like this, maybe in your own life before you came to the Lord. Right? Verse 12, it says, he was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Make no mistake, others can tell that there's something different about you. If you're following the Lord and they're acting odd towards you, right? They may sense that the Lord is with you, but maybe they they don't want that, but they're uncomfortable with you. Because sometimes there, there's an, a confidence that's exuded. Not an arrogance, but a confidence. Because we just, we're just trusting the Lord. You know, I just want to mind my own business. I'm trusting the Lord. And things seem to be going pretty well in my life. Because I'm tied to the Lord. But they don't see it that way. So you see this kind of going on. There are some that, um, you know, God... Well, God offers the spiritual success to everyone. But many a times... Uh, people don't take him up on his offer, you know? Some people say to me, well, Pastor Joe, can you pray for me? I said, I absolutely will. They don't know the Lord. And I say, but you can pray too. And let's just pray and, and let's just see. We, I'm just talking to God. You have that same ability. Yeah, but I'd rather you do it. Okay, but you could too, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not looking to, to take all the goodies and, and hold them for myself. I want to give them out. I want everybody to have the goodies, you know? Uh, and, and sometimes they'll say, "Really, I, everything that I have, you can have." Really, yes, and more. You just need to ask for it. You just need to, you know, you know, just stop doing your, your own way and 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 bow before the Lord and humble yourself a little bit. But again, King Saul had it; it departed. Uh, the Lord departed, and he and he just was really in the tailspin at this point. Verse seventeen. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the, the Mahalithite. Mahalo Mahalothite. I should have practiced that one. As a wife. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. This guy's not above using his own daughters for his own you know, goals here. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, a trap. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So so Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? I think that at this point in life, David was just really humble. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines, to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to David or to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, and he and his men and killed 200 men of the Philistines and David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. So Saul's a sneaky guy. You know, he, he knows that the people love him. He knows that God is with him. You know, you wonder what's going through his head. So he keeps sending these out to these battles, hoping that he dies in battle. You notice something, too, that as we go later on in the scripture, that David learns Saul's tricks. Remember uh, Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba? He does the same thing later on. See, David was, for lack of a better term, a purist here. He had a pure heart. He just wanted to serve the Lord. When David got too successful, some of it, I think, went to his head, and he starts to really make poor judgments, and he commits adultery, and he tries to cover the adultery with murder, and he sends Uriah, who's a really valiant guy, loyal to David, and he sends him into battle and has the men draw back, and, and he gets killed. Really uh, hard thing to read. You know, men just do messed up stuff, and women. <laughs> Don't want to leave them out. But, um, you know, so at this point, David's a humble guy, and, and Saul's just trying to kill him, and he's just trying to, you know, preserve his life here. Um, but we see, we, remember we covered Sunday Judas. I think we see some... Parallels here between King Saul and Judas. Judas was a sneaky guy as well, and he did one thing to, to uh, Jesus' face, and then did another thing behind his back. Can't stand people like that. I mean, just got to be honest with you. Just, just be honest. You know, don't don't do sneaky things, and especially not in the church. Um, so the plan was to give David his oldest daughter in marriage, uh, and under the guise of success, uh, you know, he keeps David. Or he keeps David, he put, sends him out to fight the Philistines, and hopefully he'll die in battle. Now, a few things happen here. Uh, the king really double crosses David because remember back when David was supposed to fight Goliath, even before that, the king said, If anybody, because I don't want to do it, and I'm paraphrasing, if anybody would fight this mammoth, I'll give him a tax break. I'll give him, you know, my daughter. I mean, he was just throwing everything into the pot to sweeten it, but nobody wanted to fight Goliath. And David just did it because he was honoring the Lord, not because he was looking to get married, I don't think. Definitely not. Um, So he goes there and, uh, you know, Saul needs to make good on his promise to give him Merab, but he double crosses him. Now, could it be that David protested too much and was being really humble? Either way, King Saul broke his promise to give his daughter away. And then there's something here about the dowry, or there was what's, what's called a bride price back then, and you know, David's family was not wealthy. Um, but uh, Saul gets around that by saying to David, again, he didn't keep his word, and he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my, my youngest daughter, but you got to get me 100 foreskins of the Philistines. So he, in a sense, makes him pay him. And then, of course, David and his men slay 200 instead of 100. So um, th- there you go. He ends up getting Michael, right? So verse 28, Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then that must be uh, interesting at the holidays, huh? With the in-laws and stuff. And your dad really hates me. Do we have to go to Thanksgiving there? (laughs) Just stay with me, you know? So continuing on. Verse 30, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. So again, King Saul's plans uh, fail again. Now, we can look at this as well, and I, I believe, listen, if we read the scripture and we look at our lives and or You know, we see those that are going through a lot worse than us. Sometimes we fret about real small stuff. I mean, this was a case where his life was really uh, at stake here. And this guy wanted to kill him, and he was the king. So you really had to trust God, because if the king wanted to kill you, uh, there's a good chance that he was going to do it. Uh, But I I think of Psalm 23:5, where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. You know, we can be afraid about things in life, or we can trust God, period. And again, if, if God will preserve someone's life, you know, and he preserves our soul, what's more valuable than either of those two? So if we can have uh, the, our enemies right in front of us, and they can surround us, and they can be after us, but, you know, we really got to exercise spiritual, uh, you know, spiritual exercise and trust God with everything. Uh, a few lessons to learn from King Saul. Again, let me just make a few quotes that I, I kind of compiled from Envy and Jealousy. Uh, Somebody said that to be really, you know, hatred towards somebody or or jealousy or always thinking about them. It says, quote, you're letting someone live in your head rent free. That's a good one. Okay, two, bitterness. Uh, I've, I've quoted it and I don't know where all these came from, but the process of drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Not very smart. You keep drinking poison, you're the one getting sick, not them. Uh, Proverbs 14.30, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And one more. It says, Envious people max out their credit cards to buy things they don't need to impress people that don't care. A little contemporary one there. Uh, but we can't let this stuff, you know, get to us because it'll make us do irrational things, especially in the last case. But... King Saul had a choice, and he gave in to these emotions instead of trusting God. Now, a few points regarding David, and then we'll, we'll, be, we'll close it in prayer. But David was already anointed by the king, but he refused to take... I'm sorry. He was already anointed king by God, but refused to take the throne. That's interesting. Could it have been that David should have just trusted God and taken the throne because he was already anointed? All right, Samuel did this a while ago. What was he waiting for? Well... Um, who knows? Uh, On the other hand, we can look at this and say that he was just being obedient and respectful to the position. Maybe King Saul didn't deserve respect, but David was like, well, you know, in God's timing, I'll be the king, uh, and I just don't feel comfortable killing him. I don't feel comfortable taking his life. And as you'll see, as he's on the run, he still has opportunities, and he doesn't do it. So he shows mercy. Do we show mercy? David also tried to soothe the king. Uh, Maybe he had pity on him. Right? How do we treat those that wish to harm us? Maybe there's just an element of commitment in being a team player. Could it be that David, I mean, you know, you'd have to sit, I haven't interviewed David, I, I haven't seen the CNN interview with David, so I'm not really sure, but I'm just trying to kind of go through some of these things where maybe David looked at it as well and said, you know, this could be bad for Israel. Maybe an assassination wouldn't be a good idea. So you really got to look at this kid's altruistic. He's very idealistic and he's just going to wait for God's timing to do it in his way. But I will say this, that all this stuff matured David. Maybe if David ascended too soon, he would have become too prideful. But, you know, being I'll tell you what, when you're hungry, when you're fighting for your life, when you're on the run, people are out to get you, you know, when you don't have any money, when you have health issues, you know, it has a way of humbling us. Uh, Heather uh, taught, count it all joy in James 1 when you fall into various trials because the end result is maturity. And for listen, I can sit down and interview someone who's been through the ringer in life and I can see a difference in them versus somebody who's wet behind the ears, thinks they know everything and they're just intolerable, you know? So, um, hey, the Bible's right, James 1. It says that it's count it all joy, not joy that we like to be abused, but the joy comes in the end process. Wow, God is going to use this to mature me. That's the joy. Nope, we're not, we don't like to get ourselves beat up. That's ridiculous. But the joy comes in knowing what God is doing in us and what the end process looks like, what I look like 10 years from now and not what I look like now. So we covered a lot of subjects. We really spoke about um, conflict resolution. We spoke about fear and anger. But the bottom line is two things. Do we... Are we, do we emulate or do we identify more with King Saul or with David? King Saul, worldly guy, yeah, I'll get around to God. Yeah, but let me try to do it my way first. You know, he, he let his emotions get to him. It consumed him. He probably stayed up at night thinking about David. Is that the type of person we want to be? Or do we want to be like David? Here's a guy who you know, probably happy-go-lucky, you know, the Lord's on my side, and if I get angry, it's for the Lord's cause. That Goliath guy, that's just really wrong. How could he insult my God like that? I mean, you just love this guy, really an idealistic representation of what we'd all like to probably be. So as we close in prayer, um, just to reflect on this and just see, you know, what category we fit in, and if we don't fit in the right category, to just ask God to work with us on certain issues in our life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so blessed by your word and and the history of Israel.